enthusiastic with that extra hour of sleep, the sun is shining. You're going to need it for where we're going in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Doesn't that get you excited for our reading today? Searching for Significance is our series. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand and one of the ushers will pass one to you. You can open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and I am like, I'm not setting expectations correctly. At first, as we read this, you're going to be like, oh, I don't know. But really, there are some promises and, and secrets that are going to be unlocked as we go through uh, this chapter concerning happiness and fulfillment, though it won't seem like it when I first started to read it. We're in this series. It's our third week in the series. The first week, we looked at the problem of the human experience, you know, which is many-fold. Uh, the fact that we are impermanent, short-lived, uh, insatiable beings. We're always longing for the new, and as soon as we get the new, it becomes old to us, and all the accomplishments of our lives are basically forgotten before they're even remembered. The teacher has asked, what can be gained for all the toil that we employ under the sun? What profit is there in this life? What matters? What lasts? What's going to have significance? And in chapter 2 last week in our study, he tested all sorts of possibilities from work achievements and building projects to you know, wealth and pleasure and wisdom and a life of foolishness. And at the end, he said, it's all a chasing after the wind. It's all vapor, a grasping at something that you and I cannot hold. This week, the fun is going to continue as we begin to turn the corner into accepting our lot ever so slightly by learning how to live in this limited and limiting human experience. Let's read together Ecclesiastes chapter 3. The verses will be on the screen. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain for their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear Him. Whatever is has already been. And what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. I also said to myself, as for humans, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. 
As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless or a vapor or breath. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? Yeah, hmm. I heard a, a collective hmm. You know, first service is just like the air just sucked out of the room. And I just let it sit there for a while. I'm not here to bring it all back so quick. We'll get there. But you got to just live in that reality, what the teacher is trying to teach us. You know, the chapter begins with this very poetic treatment of the human experience. In verse 1, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. It's like, welcome to life on earth, following the sin and the error and the fall of humankind in Adam and Eve. It's like, this is your waiver form for life, Ecclesiastes 3, especially these first you know, eight or so verses. I recently filled out a waiver form. Uh, we went on a trip, and I did this like five-story ropes course. I don't like heights. I don't like ropes courses. My kids were going to do like the first two stories of it, so if I was going to assist them, I had to sign and be a part of it, and then inevitably everyone's going to do the fifth story, do the fifth, whatever. Anyway, they make you sign a waiver form, and it basically just explains to you all the things I was already imagining. I mean, I, I already immediately knew all the things that could happen to me, and I was concerned about those things happening to me, but they make you read all about it and then sign on the dotted line that you acknowledge the responsibility you now have for your own fate, right? And in a sense, that's what Ecclesiastes 3 is. Like, this is the waiver form of life. You know, prepare yourself. You have been warned. Set your expectations accordingly for what you are going to experience. Now, what are those proper expectations? What are we going to experience? Well, you know, he says there are going to be periods of time in your life here where you're going to be born, and here you are, so obviously that's proven true, and you're going to die, and there's going to be a bunch of stuff in between. You know, there's going to be times where you're harvesting and planting for a harvest, and then you're going to harvest, and then you're going to uproot, and you're going to clean up the field, and then you're going to replant again so you can harvest all over again. Like, there's going to be these cycles of work in all of our lives. There's going to be times of killing. We see that in the news at home in America and abroad around the world. We see that there are times of killing in the world, and there are times when communities come back together to heal. There are going to be times when you demolish. I mean, look at downtown Huntington Beach. Does it look like it did in the early 1900s? No, they tore down all those craftsman homes and split the lots in half and built those tall skinnies, right? So you demolish and you rebuild. And if we live to 2050, they're going to tear down those ones, split it into four lots, and build them even taller and skinnier. Like, that's just the way it goes. These are the cycles of life. Now, to clarify, this chapter is not an endorsement or justification for every one of those experiences. I mean, at least not on their own. It is simply an acknowledgement that there are times when we will all experience, behave, relate, and respond through the whole gamut of human experience from deep lament 
to laughter and dancing. And yes, this is the final word. This is God's word against all of you that would refute it, that there is, in fact, a time for dancing. Some of you deny that. Can I get an amen from someone who likes to dance at a wedding? Yeah, get on the dance floor, guys. But let's be honest. If, if we could, we would likely change our human condition and just stay there in the portion I just described. If we could, if we were the architect, we'd say, man, I just want it to be all the laughing and the dancing. We would respond to verse 1 in God's Word, and we'd say, you know what, no, 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 no. There is a time for some things in the human experience, and there are other things that I don't have any time for. There, there is an activity in a season that is appointed, and it's the good stuff, right? Isn't that why we moved to Huntington Beach? It's because there's only one season. We picked here because it's 75 degrees, barring last year. Let's scratch last year. Let's just forget that little mishap. But for 13 years, it's been year-round 75 and sunny, 75 degrees and sunny. You know, if we could, we would make all of our life those sincere phrases that people put above their dining room tables that they buy at Home Goods. We'd make it all live, laugh, love. That would be the slogan of our life, right? We live, laugh, love, rinse, repeat. Like that's if we could control it all. But how many arguments and how many tears have been shed under a live, laugh, love sign at the dining room table? Let's be honest with each other. And if we can't even control what happens around our dining room table, how much less can we control the seasons of life around us? And if the uncontrollable nature of this existence isn't hard enough for us to accept on its own, recall the problem that's recited there in verse 9. Amidst all this change that's beyond us, what can we even gain or keep? In the end, we're all going to die. That's how he finishes out in chapter 3. That's the whole bit about the animals. It's just to say they die and we die. It's all going to come to an end. Now, there is one who does control the times and the seasons and who is also forever, God. And by verse 10, the teacher has introduced God to the conversation and begun to contrast the differences between him and us and our interplay in this wild, at times, overwhelming human experience. You see, for one, we human beings are seemingly burdened by God in this experience of life. Like, isn't it a little bit too much to take in? You know, just thinking about all the different things that are going on and thinking about death right now. In, in, in chapter 1, he said, all things are wearisome. All, all things are, it's exhausting to think this way. It, it's more than one can say. Like, 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 there's a time to have these conversations and the time is right now, but you only want this in certain measures. You can't wait till you go on later in your day and you're not thinking about the ultimate every second. Because it's like, man, if I take it all in, this human experience, it's like a burden. It's heavy. And yet to God, because he exists above and beyond and behind all this, it can be said he has made everything beautiful in its time. You know, it's a matter of perspective. God has perspective on the experiences of life that we don't have access to. And perspective can really change things. Let me illustrate this. In fourth grade, I was crushed because I had this relationship. I was dating this girl in fourth grade. Yes, a young Casanova. 
Romance was in my heart at a young age, and it was a very serious relationship. I mean, we would hold hands coming back from school. I know, I know. The times were different where that was like a lot. And uh, so we'd hold hands, and I expressed, you know, my affection and love uh, for this woman by buying her a ring on her birthday. A ring, I know, yes. It wasn't an engagement ring. It wasn't wild. It's just a ring, right? But it wasn't just a ring. It meant a lot to me, and it meant a lot when she gave it back to me. That's how she broke up with me. She knocked on the door, and I don't even remember her saying anything. She just handed me the ring. And I was crushed, and I was never going to get over that, and I never have. No, I've definitely gotten over it at this point, right? I hit the jackpot marrying Whitney, now Whitney Shea. I mean, I got to just, she was front row, yeah, you know, 830. Who was that girl in fourth grade? But at the time, what did it feel like for me? I couldn't go on. I was ruined. You know, when my kids go through maybe the same experience, my girls... I might be a little angry if a guy is holding their hand coming home from school in fourth grade. I'm going to have a different, but, but let's work with my boys. If my boy comes home and he buys the ring and it gets returned to him and he's crushed, aren't I going to smile a little bit? Aren't I going to think, oh, buddy, you don't even know. You know, you just wait and see. Like, you, this is all going to come together for you in the end, and it's a matter of perspective. Now, God has access to a perspective on our lives that we just don't have access to. And when he looks at the things and how they're coming together, he says, I've made everything beautiful and it's time. I get it. I get it in a way that you don't get it and you can't get it. And we say, but for real, really, I mean, how much perspective does God really have for you to be able to say that, you know, war and death and lament and hate are beautiful in their time? Well, I'm not claiming that those realities are beautiful in their own right, but the point is we don't know what God will make of all of it into eternity. We have no idea what comes next. We have no idea how he works with the raw materials of this world. We are stuck with a limited view even as we have an unlimited longing to know. Let me say that again. We are stuck with a limited view, even as we have this unlimited hunger and thirst and longing to have the answers and to know. And this is the way we were hardwired by God. So says the teacher in verse 11. God has put eternity in the hearts of human beings. We have this hunger. We have this desire to try and grasp the bigger picture. But at the same time, our appetite to know and understand exceeds the capacity of our stomach to digest it all. Or said another way, the things that we experience are too complicated for our minds to fully comprehend and grasp. Like, what if I led you on a tour through Europe? And you've never been to Europe before, but I take you on a tour through the whole of Europe sightseeing. But I only give you a pinhole to look through. There's a little pinhole to look through. And I take you everywhere, and I show you everything. And you, and you strain, and you try to see all the sights. And maybe you're going to catch a glimpse of this or a glimpse of that. But you're going to miss out on the whole picture. You're not going to really know 
where that was or what the whole landscape was, what the whole picture was. You're not going to know where you are or where this is in relation to that. And you're going to be straining, right? Can you imagine having that whole experience looking through a pinhole? You'd be straining and you'd just be like so tired and exhausted. You'd even want to give up at some point. So here we are in life with all that want to know on the other side of the door, the desire to see it all without the ability to grasp it. God has given even the most brilliant minds only a pinhole to look through. It's like a whole ocean of knowledge and understanding in front of us, and all we're given is one small cup to try to capture it and contain it. But this does bring us full circle to the prospect of happiness and joy, because knowing and gaining all that knowledge is not where joy is going to be found. If our happiness and our joy was contingent on having all the answers to life, on knowing how everything is going to play out, on having some measure of control over the seasons that we're going to encounter, if our happiness and joy is contingent on those things, well, then guess what, guys? We can never be happy, and we can never experience joy because we can never know the reasons why because we don't know what's going to happen next, and we have no ability to control future outcomes. We can just sort of sometimes trick ourselves into thinking we know, or trick ourselves into thinking we do have some measure of control, but sure enough, come enough time, life will throw you another curveball, and you'll learn it isn't so. So sorry to say, joy and happiness is not something that we can acquire or gain or keep for ourselves in this life. But not all hope is lost because the teacher does say it's something that can be gifted us by God. Verse 12, the teacher says, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. What does he mean here? Well, what he's doing is he's sort of encouraging this posture of acceptance, now, I want to clarify, not indifference. He's not saying, hey, you know, all this bad stuff and good stuff is going to happen. You're just going to kind of go through it and just kick up your feet and forget it. No, he's not saying be indifferent. He's encouraging a posture of acceptance and engagement. He says you, you should enjoy and do good. But you should accept that there are going to be an unlimited amount of things that are beyond your control, that God is going to ultimately orchestrate into beauty. There's got to be this acknowledgement that we can really gain nothing from this life except that which God is going to gift us along the way. It's like Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verse 25. He's talking about worry. He says, do not worry about your life. Who by worrying can add a single hour to their life? It doesn't do anything. You're expending all this energy. How many of you guys have worried before? How many of you guys have ever felt anxiety before? What has it ever done for you? And no matter how many times it does nothing for us, we continue to expend energy doing it all over again. It yields nothing. But it's all that longing for why and how we're going to do it and what's going to happen next, right? Jesus says, stop spending the energy that direction, chasing after the wind, and start using that energy to enjoy it as it passes over you. If you're grieving today, 
If that's your experience in this season of life, know that it will pass. If you're laughing today, know that it will pass. So be happy and do good. A natural question you may be asking is why? Why is life after the fall and under the sun and under the heavens structured this way? Why do we lack so much control? Why are we so small as people and short-lived? Why do we hunger for knowledge but we don't have the ability or the resources to grasp the things that we're longing to know? Why did God fashion the human experience this way? Well, the teacher gives us an answer in verse 14. He says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. So we don't do things that endure forever. We do things that are here and gone. Everything he does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. God has ordered life in such a way as to teach us a single and important lesson. Fear him. Acknowledge Him. If you and I had the ability to be the architect of the times and the seasons, we would be God, right? If we had that power, if we had that sort of sovereignty and strength to, to fashion the times and seasons and what's going to happen and what's going to happen in the world and what's going to happen with us, then we would be God. But we don't have that ability. And when we run up against the times, when we run up against the brick wall that is a season we didn't expect, that is the time that we're encouraged to fear God, to acknowledge Him and look to He who has the ability to control the times and seasons. It's when we're longing to know and we're asking the questions and we're seeking all this understanding and we can never grasp the answers. That's when we get led back to the one who has the answers. That's the lesson that we're learning is to fear God and acknowledge Him in those circumstances. When we toil and we strive to gain through worldly possessions and achievements and a life of pleasure and we get to the end of all of it and we still can't keep that feeling of satisfaction, that's when we're supposed to turn and hunger and long for the one who's greater than all those desires, God Himself. As Proverbs 9, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. That's Wisdom 101. That's when you start to learn what life is all about. You can't even begin to know anything that's useful for your life until you start at step one, acknowledging God, fearing God, living in light of who He is. And, and that, that is Wisdom 101. That's the first class, and that's the first lesson that our lives are meant to teach us. But that hasn't stopped human beings from doing our utmost to ignore this chief lesson all through the ages and on up to the present day, doing our best to like, even though the teacher here, he worked through every potential life you and I could live, and yet thousands of years have gone by and everyone's like, well, let me check his work. Let me spend my whole life really seeing if I can't gain something for myself. And it just plays out over and over and over and over again. You know, Orange County is the big experiment of Ecclesiastes where everyone's saying, well, I'm not really sure there's any truth to this at all. Let me see if I can't control the times and the seasons and if I can't really acquire something for myself. And, and so we just ignore it. It goes on and on and on. There's a great example of this 
an individual who's just, you know, pushing against all the limitations of life. We've got this billionaire, uh, Brian Johnson. He's one of many billionaires who, with all their, you know, loads of money now, are trying to figure out how they can live forever. Because this world is their heaven, right? (laughs) They're probably making it a hell for other people. But... They're doing great, and they want to live forever. So they have the ability to, you know, spend millions and millions of dollars figuring out, you know, how do I keep my cell structure from aging? And so what are the exact foods, and how much am I supposed to, you know, what times of the day? And let me craft that perfectly, and let me craft my time that I'm going to go to sleep and the time I'm going to wake up, and the right amount of sleep, right? And I'm going to do a certain amount of exercise, and it's going to be the right amount. It's not going to be too much. It's not going to be too little. And I'm telling you, this whole guy's life is just built on this really strict plan, and he's getting his cells tested all the time for decay, and he's getting blood transfusions from his teenage son. They're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars every month so he can get multiple blood transfusions to get the plasma from his teenage son. I'm not kidding. And at the end of all this, on his journey, what's waiting for him at the end of the rainbow? The same lesson, fear God, acknowledge God. No matter how long he delays learning that first lesson of life, inevitably life is going to teach him that lesson. And life is always teaching us that key lesson. But we're not only to fear God, or to acknowledge him as impossibly beyond our own life. But the teacher says we're to revere him with our lives, to respect him with our actions, because verse 15, whatever is has already been and what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. You know, though the cycle of life and the pattern of the times and seasons just seems to go on and on in this endless cycle, and we get lost in it, and quite honestly, guys, I can't remember what I did yesterday. If you ask me what I ate for lunch, it would take me a while to remember what happened yesterday. And I'm not even sure I've got tomorrow figured out. I haven't really thought ahead to know what I'm planning to do tomorrow because that's just how life is. And we just get lost in the midst of it. We forget so many things, but God is able to and promises to call the past, our whole selves, to account. He knows the end from the beginning and recalls the beginning and the end and everything in between. Verse 17, God will bring into judgment both the righteous And the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed, even the things we've all forgotten that we've been a part of, the good and the bad. Now, this is actually supposed to be a statement of comfort instead of inciting fear, because it's in response to what the author observes as wickedness in the place of judgment and wickedness in the place of justice in the world. He says so in verse 16. He's looking around. He's going, man, this world is messed up. In the place of judgment, in the place of justice, you know what I saw in the world that we've built together as human beings? Wickedness, institutional evil. And this world was a mess back then, and guess what? It was a mess all the way from then all the way up to today. I mean, you look at the world today, you go, who can fix the government? Who can fix our government? Don't name any names. I don't want to know. Because that guy can't do it either. That woman can't do it either. Who can fix all this? Who can stop all the killing and the murdering and the endless cycles of wars? You know, one generation hates one generation, and then they feed them the, you know, appetite to hate the generation again, and it just goes on and on, killing and murdering, killing and murdering. 
Who can stop, you know, all the kickbacks and all the extortion and all the bribes and coercion that goes on and the, and the lack of attention that should be given to the oppressed? These are fixtures of the human experience that we seem incapable of solving both individually and corporately. This is life under the sun. Just one more thing we seem to be unable to control. And yet the teacher says God will address it. He will address everything He will call the past to the present and judge every deed, both righteous and wicked. He's going to handle it on the scale of the world, but also on the scale of our own lives. So do you see what matters in this vapor of a life? Are you starting to understand what's significant, what's important? When we play timekeeper and season setter, we chase the wind. When we try to keep and gain and achieve in this life, we end up with nothing. Instead, let the various circumstances of life be your teacher. Fear God. Acknowledge God. Enjoy your life because it's going to be a gift that doesn't last long, both the good and the bad. And do good because every action indeed is going to be called to account by God. In Jesus' passage about worry that I cited earlier, he does something very similar to what the author of Ecclesiastes is doing here in chapter 3. You know, he starts by talking about worry and all the things that people worry about. And they're worried about what are we going to wear and what are we going to eat. And, you know, these are just placeholders to talk about the human experience. All the various worries that we could have. All the what questions. What are we going to do about this? How are we going to go about this? How is this all going to play out? Why did this happen to me? You know, there's all these questions, right? And Jesus takes all those what and how and why questions about life and he leads them to a question about who. Who's your father in heaven? What's he like? If you fear him and acknowledge him, look around. Look at the birds. Look how they're eating and they're being taken care of. And they're not even working that hard. It's just kind of happening for them. And look at the flowers of the field. They're clothed. They're brilliantly clothed. Acknowledge God. Fear Him. Who is God? And what does He think about you? He cares about you much more than these things. So how do you think He's going to respond to you? And what do you think He's calling you into? You know, the purpose of leaving behind all that worry and that false expended energy is so that we could, what does He say in that passage? Seek first the kingdom of God. To do good, knowing that every deed and action is going to come under God's judgment. And what does he say on the other side of that? Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. And then you'll have the energy to enjoy the gifts that God is giving you along the way. You can't gain it, but you'll be open to experience the gift of it. All of life and its madness and its challenges can be redeemed if it leads us back into the hands of God into the acknowledgement of Him, into a posture of living for the day, Jesus will return and call us to account. Only what He does lasts forever. Only He sets the times and the seasons. Only He knows how it's all going to work together. Only He can straighten the things that are crooked in this world. The faster we can move from all those what and how and why questions to a question around who is the faster we can move from that longing and worry to enjoying the gift and the responsibility God has given us in this short life. 
I've got a question for us to consider as we reflect on the meaning and significance of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Where is God asking you to give up control and acknowledge Him? Right now in your life, where is God asking you to give up control and acknowledge Him? We like to gain and keep and control and play like we're the architect of the times and the seasons. We don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. (laughs) So where do you need to give up control and fear God? Acknowledge Him. Because then you're going to have the energy to do what He's calling you to do and the capacity and the space in your heart to actually enjoy what He's gifting you in this short life. This, this is what we were talking about in our series on money. A few weeks ago, we were talking about money. You know, here we are. We're gaining and keeping and storing and hoarding up, and we've got these plans for our future, and oh, man, have we feared God? Have we acknowledged Him? Because you can't keep all that, and what's it all going to go to? And you have no idea what comes next. So acknowledge him and fear him, and now you can think, okay, now I can live with that sense of responsibility. Like, he's going to call into account what I've done with these resources. And he's also going to open me to enjoy them in a way I didn't before because it's a gift, not something I'm gaining and keeping. It's the same thing in any facet of your life. Maybe it's in a relationship where you're trying to change someone. It's a hardship you're facing in the office. It's an obstacle with your kids. And you want to take it into your own hands, and you want to be the one that's going to architect the solution. And God is saying, are you acknowledging me first? Then you'll know your responsibility, and you'll be freed to the gift of this short experience along the way. Let's spend some time in prayer on this very question. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, We do not control so many of the things around us. We control so very little, Lord. What do we have? We have our response to this truth, to your word, to the prompting of your Holy Spirit. We have the opportunity to learn the the first and simplest and most basic lesson of life, to just fear you, to acknowledge you. That's what we want to do this morning, Lord. We want to release those illusions of control and acknowledge you in the midst of all of this. Lord, you've structured life, our lives, the seasons, the times in such a way that we would look to you who controls the times and the seasons, who's working things together in a way that we can't possibly fathom. God, we long to know. We have so many questions that we want answered. We ask why. And in the end, we just need to look to who you are. That's all we have to go on, is who you are. Lord, would we acknowledge you? Would we invite you in to direct and guide our lives instead of striving and working to gain and working against the circumstances around us, Lord? What's our responsibility? What's the good you've called us to do that we're going to be called to account for? Thank you, Lord, that you love us. That's who you are. You sent your son Jesus to die on the cross so that we're forgiven. When we're called to account, we're not going to be condemned for our wrongdoing. But, Lord, we want to be able to stand before you and live into what was significant, what did matter, what's going to go on into eternity. And we want to be open to experience the gift 
of joy along the way in this short breath of a life that you've given us as a gift. I want to invite you right now, would you just consider this question in prayer before the Lord? What is he asking you to release control of and acknowledge him in the midst of? Holy Spirit, would you identify dynamically for every person in this room what this sermon is to them by revealing those areas where they need to release control?